Thank you. Uh, so if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Hal. Like Mark said, I'm a head of, uh, I'm the campus pastor at the Temple Terrace campus. And uh, yeah, and so um, I'll just let you guys know this. Uh, this weekend, we're actually doing a message that uh, is is for all of you. Uh, we're doing a message that has to do with singleness and young adults and all that kind of stuff. My wife and I are actually going to co-teach it. It's uh yeah, it's a message that we've done before um, that's very, very good, and we're bringing it back. And uh, it actually applies to everybody. Um, so this, this Sunday, uh, you should show up and bring your mom because it is Mother's Day. Just a reminder, that's not one that you're allowed to forget. Uh, <laughs> just a reminder in that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. So this week, we're talking about stress. And uh, I think all of us have interesting responses to stress. Like, I think we all know when we're stressed. How many of you are like me? Like, your response to stress is to get more sarcastic? Anybody? Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. And here's why. Look around. Uh, whoever else has their hand up, you're not allowed to hang out with them when you're stressed. Because there's only thing worse than a stressful, sarcastic person is two of them together, and then they start working off of each other. Like, uh, I, I do, I get really sarcastic, and then when I get really, really tired, my wife is very annoyed by me, because when I get to, like, to the edge of tired and stressed, I just respond to everything with, like, your mom. Uh, <laughs> my, my wife's like, you look tired. I'm like, your mom looks tired. She's like, what? She's like, you should go to bed. I'm like, your mom should go to, you're right, I should go to bed. <laughs> and, and my other go-to for stress, and I'm sure nobody else feels this, is eating. Uh, that's, God, God gave us... Taco Bell for a reason. Um, it's to eat it and then immediately regret it. But uh, I, I, here's what I mean by that. Like, it's so funny. When they announced lockdown, I know a lot of people for some reason like went to hoard toilet paper because that was what they were most worried about. Uh, I, I went to the store to get food. And I, and I actually, we, my wife took a picture of this because she was so amazed at the stuff that I brought home. So we, we announced that we're going into lockdown. If you remember that, they're like, you may need to like have enough food for a long period of time because you may not be able to go to the store, which was not true. But um, so I went to the store and I bought two of the really big Costco size uh, things of Pop-Tarts, um, the family size Lucky Charms, um, a massive thing of ramen or ramen. How many of you say ramen? Ramen? All right, we'll do it that way. That's fine. And a two and a half pound bag of Starburst jelly beans. And uh, yeah, I brought it home. My mom, my wife's like, um, are you in middle school? Uh, I was like, no, I just am hungry. And so, but we, here, here's the deal with stress. Like we, we know this, that stress is, uh, they actually say that stress is actually at an all time high. And here's some of the biggest stressors uh, that people say job. You know, whether to have a job or if you have a job, you don't like it. Uh, money, health, relationships, poor diet, lack of sleep. And the biggest one is trying to get a guy at the exchange to actually ask you out. Um, <laughs> she's not talking to you because she thinks you're that interesting. Just ask her out. She likes you. It's all right. Um, as you can tell, I'm tired. Uh, so... We're talking about stress. And here's what's interesting. So Mark's like all worried. Uh, Here's what's interesting. Like the two weeks before this, you guys talked about anxiety and depression. And what was interesting, Mark's like, you're talking about stress. And then he talked about anxiety and depression. I'm like, wait, aren't they all 
the same thing. And so I had to actually like look up what each one was to, to make sense. And it's like anxiety and depression are types of mood disorders. Among other things, depression causes feelings of sadness, hopelessness, and reduced energy. Anxiety creates feelings of nervousness, worry, and dread. And so anxiety and depression are something that is a result of a long-term problem. But people under stress, stress is something that's very different, experience mental and physical symptoms such as irritability, anger, fatigue, muscle pain, digestive troubles, and difficulty sleeping. Anxiety on the other hand is, is defined by persistent excessive worries that don't go away even the absence of a stressor. So here, here's what we're, we're kind of going backwards. We kind of started off with like the end game of what happens when we, we, we allow ourselves to get to a certain point in depression and then anxiety. And then stress is actually something that's very different. Stress is something we have the ability many times to control. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that it's, not, it's possible not to have any stress in your life, but I'll just be honest with many of you. Right now, a, a lot of the stress in our lives is, is self like it, we're, we're causing it to ourselves. We're, we're allowing things into our lives that cause us stress, or we're choosing to focus on things that are causing us to have more and more stress. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to do some Bible, and then we're going to do some very applicable, like, like very just like, these are some things you can do to reduce stress. And in Philippians, uh, this is Paul speaking. He actually talks about what it means to get rid of stress. He says this, he says, then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This is a promise. This is a promise. And there's a lot of promises in the Bible. There's a lot of promises in the Bible. This is a promise. He says, here's the deal. If you do this, there's a premise to this promise, which we're going to talk about. He said, you will experience God's peace. He says, this peace will be so big that it will actually guard your hearts and your minds. And so how do we get to that place? How do we get to a place where we have this incredible peace? Because I'll be honest with you guys, people are looking around you, people are paying attention to you, and if you have peace, people want to know why. Especially nowadays, with corona, with everything that's going on, peace is something that you don't see. Everyone's freaking out about something. And so how is it possible, especially as a Christian, to have an incredible peace? And here's the first thing, and this is something you guys talked about last week, but we're going to talk about again, is to replace your worry with prayer. Replace your worry with prayer. And I talked about the, you guys talked about this last week, how worry and anxiety go hand in hand, but worry at its root, what it does is it takes your current stress and it makes it worse. Worry chooses, it allows you to focus on that stress so much that it actually becomes worse. In Philippians 4, 6, it says this, this is one of those premises. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Now, when you read that verse, are there any exceptions like, does he say, don't worry about anything but who you're going to marry, right? No, it doesn't say, this doesn't say, don't worry about anything or the job that you're going to have. He literally says, don't worry about anything. And here's what's great. He doesn't just end there because that would be annoying, wouldn't it? You ever had that person come up to you? Hey, just, just don't worry. That's, that's nice. Thank you. He's like, no, no, here's what I want you to do. Don't worry, replace it with prayer, he says, I want you to take all that time that you spend worrying and I want you to take that and I want you to replace it with prayer. I want you to focus on prayer because I want you to stop exaggerating your problems through worry. I actually want you to minimize your problems by putting them next to God. I want to show you how small your problems are in the midst of who we follow. Here's what's so crazy about worry. Do you realize worry is a learnt behavior? Like babies don't come out worrying. Like, they're not like, oh, no, I wonder if I'm going to get milk. 
Like a baby doesn't go to the bathroom and go, I hope somebody, I wonder if somebody's going to change me. Oh no, somebody not, no, they just cry and it happens, right? Worry is a learned behavior and you more, probably got it from your parents or somebody around you because you saw them worry and, and you're like, why are you worrying? Because that's apparently what you're supposed to do and it makes you feel like you have some sort of control. And here's the reason why I say that because worry is a learned behavior, so is faith. Okay, so here's what we can do. Worry is a learned behavior. So you've learned whenever you go through incredible stress, I should worry about that. What you can do instead is whenever you go through incredible stress, I should pray about that. And what you learn is how to have faith in the toughest situations. That's why he says replace it. Because worry is not something you can just walk away from. Worry is not just something you can just stop doing. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to take that worry and I want you to replace it with faith. The way that you do that is through prayer to a God that's bigger than your problems. I mean, guys, at the basis of it, worry is unnatural. It's unhealthy because worry literally accomplishes nothing. You guys may have heard me say this before. I heard a pastor say this. He said, if when you're done praying, you don't feel better, you're not praying, you're just complaining. Isn't that true? And hey, we're all, we can all be really good complainers, can't we? And here's what complaining is. Complaining is telling God all your problems, but not giving him any of it. It's going, God, do you see what's happening right now? Can you believe this is going on? Like maybe we're telling God to smite somebody, but that's about it. Like we're mad at, we're telling God all these things, but we're not actually unloading them to him. We're going, God, I'm going to tell you all my problems, but I'm going to keep them to myself. God, I'm going to tell you about all my problems, but I'm going to handle them myself. See, prayer should actually unload the, the, the burdens that we have that we can't carry anyway and give them to God. Now, look, this is, doesn't just happen. This, like I said, it's a learnt behavior. It's giving it to God. Imagine how different your life would be if you prayed as much as you worried. Imagine how different your life would be. And some of you, you, you're such good, you're so good at worrying that you even pray about something and then you worry how God's going to come through. Like, I, I just, I just don't know. It's kind of crazy. I mean, as a kid, when I was a kid and I would go to my dad, I'm like, dad, I would like this. I never worried about where he was going to get the money from, right? As a kid, I mean, my son comes to me, he goes, dad, I want this. I'm like, that's expensive. Well, you have money. You don't. Right. But when, when you ask for something from your dad, it's not like you were like, man, I hope he's able to make the money. It's like I am asking for it from my dad. God is our heavenly father. He's going to provide for us. See, what we do is we hand it to him. We don't worry about how he's going to do it. We just know that he is going to take care of it. Here's what worry is at its base. It's practical atheism. It's acting like God doesn't exist. Right? It is basically saying, I believe in God, but then going, I, I think he's really too small to handle my problems. I mean, here's what's crazy when you think about it. I mean, our biggest problem is what? Sin and death. Those two things. God cares so much about us that he, he sacrificed his son to take care of our problem. Why wouldn't we think he would go to whatever ends he needs to go to to take care of our problems today? If he's willing to sacrifice his son to take care of our biggest problems. Why can't we trust him with our everyday problems? See, why don't you, why don't we believe that God wants the best for our relationships? Why don't we believe that God wants the best for our finances? Why don't we believe that God wants the best for our health? See, the moment we don't believe God wants the best for us is the moment we take it back and we worry even more. In fact, one of the dumbest things that we can say to God is God, I'll handle this. Don't worry about it. I know you got a lot on your plate. 
I've got this. We don't. We, we, we need to replace that worry with prayer. Here's the second thing. We thank God in all things. And this is what's called gratitude. And read that correctly. I thank God in all things, not that I thank God for all things. Because if somebody gets cancer, we're not going, thank you, God. Like if the war is happening, we're not going, oh, thank God there's a war happening. Like that's not, that's not what it's saying. It's saying thank God in all things, which means this, no matter your situation, no matter what you're going through, we still have the ability to thank God for what he's already done. We still have the ability to look at our life as a whole and go, God, I'm still thankful for at least that you sent your son for me and you've taken care of my eternity. And we can look around and we go, God, you've given me this. God, you've given me that. Hear me on this. You can't be happy and ungrateful at the same time. You can't be. We can't be happy and ungrateful at the same time. And in fact, here's what's interesting. Researchers have said this. They actually say gratitude is the healthiest emotion that you can have. The healthiest emotion. This is some, so UC Davis did a big study on this. And th- there's some things in here. They talked about, they looked at people that kept gratitude journals, people that wrote letters of gratitude and just showed the different health benefits. This is some of this stuff is just, it's crazy to me to think of because it doesn't make sense that gratitude changes this much, but it does. So keeping a gratitude diary for two weeks produced sustained reductions in perceived stress by 28% and depression by 16%. Gratitude is related to a 23% lower level of stress hormone. If you don't know what stress hormone is, it's called cortisol. Why is cortisol bad? Cortisol is what gives you belly fat, which is awesome. Practicing gratitude led to a 7% reduction in biomarkers of inflammation in patients with congestive heart failure. Basically, it reduced your chance of having another heart attack by 7%. Two gratitude activities, counting blessings and gratitude letter writing, reduced the risk of depression in at-risk patients by 41% over a six-month period. Here's an interesting one. Caloric intake is reduced by as much as 25% when people are keeping a gratitude journal. That's interesting. A daily gratitude practice can decelerate the effects of neurodegeneration, which means going to dementia by 9%. Grateful people have 16% lower diastolic blood pressure and 10% lower systolic blood pressure. Grateful patients with stage B asymptomatic heart failure were 16% less depressed, 20% less fatigued, and 18% more likely to believe that they can control their symptoms. Here's a big one. Writing a letter of gratitude reduced feelings of hopelessness by 88% in suicidal patients and increased levels of optimism in 94% of them. There we go. Ooh. Grateful people have between 9 to 13% lower levels of hemoglobin A1C, which is uh, what leads to diabetes. Gratitude is related to 10% improvement in sleep quality with patients with chronic pain, 70% increased sleep quality in those with insomnia, and 19% lower depression levels. Would it make sense that something that God says to focus on so much in our life actually makes us healthier? He's like, I want you to be grateful, but why? You'll be healthier. You'll be happier. Like, and here, here's the deal. Here's what gratitude does. It takes us away from just asking God for things, but also remembering what he's already done. And here's why this is so important. I used to think for so long that life was basically good seasons and bad seasons. 
It's like I, I have good seasons where I'm happy. I have bad seasons where I'm unhappy. Or I have good seasons where good things are happening, and then I have bad seasons where bad things are happening. And what I found out through life is that's not true at all. In fact, life is a lot like train tracks. It's like train tracks. There are good things that happen in your life, and there's bad things that happen in your life. And even when you have good seasons, there's also bad things. And even when you have bad seasons, there's also good things that are happening. See, what gratitude does is it focuses on one side of the train track so we know what God is doing. We're reminded of it. It changes our thought process. And like I said, it it, it reduces stress. It allows us to sleep better. It does so many things. Guys, it's as simple as this. And maybe you guys have heard me talk about this. One of the things that I was focused on doing this year was actually adding to my journal just gratitude. Just gratitude. Just because it changes the entire way you see your life and the world around you. So we must be, we must focus on being gracious in what we do. Thank God in all things. Here's the, here's the third thing. And this seems oversimplified, but let me explain it. So think about good things. It's like, thanks, Hal. I'll do that. Think about good things. Here's why this is so important. Think about it. Where is stress? It's in your mind, right? It's in your mind. It's what we focus on. It's in our thought life. And if we want peace in our mind, here's, here's what we need to do. We've got to control what goes into our mind. I mean, why are we surprised when we choose to fill our lives with negative things, with garbage things, that that's exactly what comes out of our mind? And so many of us, we're listening to things, we're watching things, we're scrolling through things, we're reading things that really are incredibly negative. Philippians 4.8 says it this way, it says, and now, dear brothers, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Social media, right? I didn't realize that was a punchline, but yeah, uh, TV show, right? I mean, these are the things, these are the things. I mean, look at what you pay attention to. Does it, is it these things? Is what you're watching true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable? You're like, but how? If I only watch things that are like that, then I won't know what's happening in the world. That may not be a bad thing. <laughs> I won't be able to watch that show. That may not be a bad thing. Let me, let me ask you the question. The people that are watching all of these things, are they happy? Are they negative? Like, I mean, think about this. Are, are you looking for something that is different or you're looking to be like everyone else? See, I'm not saying we block out the world. I'm not saying that. But we have the ability especially to control this. We have the ability to control how much of this that we look at. And here's what's crazy to me. I've never heard of someone who took a fast, and, I've, and I know most of you have probably done this, who've taken a fast from TV, internet, or social media, that after they were done, they went, you know what? That was a waste of time. Right. Everyone that does it, what do they say afterwards? That was awesome. I think so much clearer. But I'm now I'm back. <laughs> right? And, and I, so I, you're like, how? Oh, then we should cut off all social media. I'm not saying that. Maybe. Maybe. You got to figure out where you're at. Or you just limit it drastically. You, you, you talk to somebody, you go, oh, I'm only going to spend this much time on it. You actually set the timer on your iPhone for how much time you can spend on it, and then you don't go past it. <laughs> it you choose to do those things. Here's what's crazy. The average, average person spends 11 hours a day engaging with media. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Computers, internet, social media, TV, 
11 hours a day. And here's what's so bad. I don't know if you guys know this, but social media purposely purposely puts in front of you the things that uh, you disagree with or will make you angry because they found they found that you're more likely to get involved in a discussion when you're mad than when you agree with somebody. They, they've proven that. That's why Facebook is such a fun place. And on top of that, we know this. What does constant comparison do? It doesn't help us in any way. Uh, there's a story of uh, an incredible Christian. Her name was Corey Ten Boom. And Corey Ten Boom was, uh, her family basically helped uh, when Germany was trying to basically rid the world of the, the Jewish people and the Holocaust. Her family was hiding Jewish people. And they would hide them, they would hide them. The one day they got caught and they got sent to concentration camps. They got sent to these death camps. And Corey Timboom was the only one in her family that actually made it out. And here's what's so crazy about her story. Um, there, you can actually watch it on YouTube. It's only an hour. It's called The Hiding Place. It's an incredible story of faith. But here's what's crazy about her story. She got out and then God called her to go back into Germany and tell them about God. Like, I don't know about you, but that's not something I'd be like, no, that's not going to be for me, God. Thank you. But here's what she says, and this is so, so good. It says, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. That's good. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. You have the choice of deciding what you allow in your mind, what you are thinking about. One of the guys that I, that I listen to that talks about health and all that, he goes, one of the things you should do is if you're going to choose to look at social media, set a timer for every five minutes. And then when that timer goes off, go, do I feel better right now or do I feel worse? And if you feel worse, then you step away from it. You choose not to continue to look down it. Because I'm not saying there's not any good things on there, but how often do we just look at the good things? And how much do we spend time comparing or looking around and going, man, I wish I had all of these things? Because that's the important part, and that's actually point number four, which is something that God calls us to do, is to be content in anything. To be content. And here's, here's the problem that happens so many times. People hear contentment and they go, okay, so I'm just supposed to let things happen to me. Or, you know, I'm just supposed to be apathetic or I'm not supposed to have any ambition. And that is not at all what contentment mean, means. In fact, Paul is the one that says to be content. And he's the one that's literally going around starting churches everywhere he goes. Here's what contentment is. Enjoying what I have right now, not waiting for what is next to be happy. Enjoying what I have right now, but not waiting for what is next to be happy happy. See, contentment is the opposite of coveting. It's the opposite of jealousy. It's the opposite of looking for what is next. And what it does is when we're truly content, I no longer base my happiness on my circumstances or what I have. It's based on my relationship with God and who he is. See, contentment is a, is a big deal because contentment says this, I'm not waiting for that, first, that person to come into my life to be happy. I'm not waiting for that thing to come into my life to be happy. Philippians 4, 11 and 12 says, this says, not that I was ever in need for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. It says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty with plenty or little. How do we learn contentment? Number one thing, number one thing, stop comparing. You will always be more 
content with your life, the less you look around at what everybody else has and comparing it. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I remember growing up, we did not have a lot of money. Um, there's a, there's definitely a point in our lives where we lived in a double wide, anybody else double wide life. I don't, you're probably like not wanting to raise your hand. That's fine. I, I'm cool with it. Um, we, we did not have a lot of money, but I didn't realize that. Like our family, we had a good family. We were happy. All of that. I went to a elementary school that everybody wore, um, the same thing. You had the, um, uniform. And so everybody wore a uniform. So I didn't know everybody, anybody else had any money. You know, in the point that I, that I lacked contentment when I went to middle school. I'm like, oh, they have that. Oh, they have that. I was happy in my ignorance of our poorness. I was. Only did I, the only point where I decided that I wasn't happy was the moment I saw what everybody else had. I mean, think about it. How much of what you want is because you see somebody else with it? Or the world is telling you, if you have this, you will actually be incredibly happy. And here's the problem. We'll always find something we don't have. We'll always find somebody that is better than what we have. And here's the other side of it is when you go the other way and you find somebody that has less than you or somebody that's not as good as you, that just leads to pride. That's the other side of it. It's not good either. So either side, you either have this lack of contentment or this pride that's happening in your lives. See, I need you to understand this. God absolutely created you for a reason. He wants you to be you. You are not going to get to heaven and God's going to be like, man, how I just, I wish you were more like Mark. Or how I just wish you were more like your sister. Like God's not going to do that. See, here's one of the biggest tragedies in life. All of us start off as individuals, but most of us end our lives as a carbon copy. All of us start off as individuals, but most of us, because of this comparison, we end our lives as a carbon copy and we miss out on what God has called us and who God has called us to be. And actually, I'll tell you this, the the happiest people in the world are the ones that live a life of simplicity, that are okay with not having stuff. I mean, it's crazy. This doesn't end even as you get older. I mean, Two of the things that I've, I've wanted in my life, my next door neighbor has. Like, I, I love to go fishing. I love to go skiing, all those kind of things. Like, man, it'd be cool to have a boat. My neighbor has a boat. Like, man, you know, it'd be awesome to have a cabin up in the woods. They have a cabin in the woods. And you know what's great? They have that and I don't. Want to know why? I get to borrow it. Because <laughs> you know what I also see them doing? Every weekend, he's working on that stupid boat. Every time they take it out, he has to spend another hour to two hours cleaning it, making sure all of it's okay. You know what I get to do? Go out and then come back and go home. I can't tell you the number of vacations they've spent going up to the cabin, not to spend time on vacation, but to clean it up and to fix it up and to do all those things. See, everything you add to your life lessens your life of simplicity. It's something else that you have to take care of. It's something else that you have to pay attention to. It's funny. I heard somebody say before the happiest days in a a person who owns a boat, their life is the day they buy the boat and the day they sell the boat. But it's the same thing with so many things. We add the thing to our life that we think we need so much. And what does it do? It just adds something into our lives that we've got to take care of, that we've got to worry about, that we've got to pay attention to. Here's Here's a good saying. Learn to admire without the need to acquire. Learn to admire. Look at it and go, you know what? That's awesome that you have that. Can I borrow it? (laughs) Without the need to acquire. It's cool they have that. I don't need that in my life to be happy. Guys, none of this is easy. And here's what's interesting. One of the most famous verses in the Bible is in this this bit. 
God's basically telling you, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to have gratitude. I want you to have contentment. I, I want you to focus on only good things. And then he says a verse that, that goes on so many sports helmets that don't even mean what it actually means. Philippians 4, 13 says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. What does that mean? That means we have the ability to change our minds, to change what we focus on, and we can focus on God. Guys, stress is something we actually have the ability to control, something we have the ability to alter what's happening in our mind. We can choose to do those things. And on top of that, like I said, there's a couple things that you can do to focus on, and these are just straight practical things that I've uh, done a lot of research in that you can do to have a better stress-free life. And the first one, nobody's going to disagree with. You can get better sleep. Nobody's like, oh, man, I hate sleep. Well, what do we do at night? We focus on TV. We do all those things. I'm like, I don't know why I can never go to sleep. Looking at your phone. Here's what's interesting about sleep. One night of bad sleep, one night, actually reduces your ability to make good decisions. One night of bad sleep Here's what's so crazy. On average, if you have one night of bad sleep, the next day you eat 400 more calories of crap food. One night of bad sleep reduces your ability to even work out the next day. Here's the deal. If you don't have REM sleep, which REM sleep is on the second half of your sleep, so if the first four hours is more deep sleep, the second four hours is where you get your REM sleep. Here's what REM sleep does. It resets your emotional capacity. So, like, introverts get me in this. Like, you, you get to the end of the day sometimes, you're like, I'm just done with people. Like, I'm there. Like, I'm just like, nope, no more talking. Extroverts, you're like, I'm happy. Cool. REM sleep, what it does is it resets your emotional capacity. If you don't get REM sleep, if you went to bed done with people, you wake up done with people. You're like, I never, I don't know why I don't have any friends or I don't spend any time with people. Like, you want to go out? No, I don't. I don't know why. It's because you're not sleeping. <laughs> it's one of those simple things. Like, look it up. Like, how to get better sleep. Stop staring at your phone. Stop watching TV. Read a book. Turn off the lights in your room. There's a lot of things that you can look up to have better sleep. Here's the second one that nobody wants to talk about that I hate is change what you eat. They've proven this. Like, there's a gut biome that you have right here that literally what you eat affects everything in your body. Your gut actually makes 90% of your serotonin, which is your happiness hormone. So if you're eating crappy food, you don't feel happy. Well, you do for a moment, and then it goes away. What we eat affects our life. And here's the deal. I'm not going to give diet advice because then all the vegans will be angry, um, which, which I should just say, if you're a vegan and you're angry, maybe you should change what you eat. Um, If you're not angry, cool. Keep going. That's awesome. Help the other vegans. Stop looking at me like that. And right now, if you're angry, eat a steak. Um, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But here's what we all know. Whole food is something everybody can agree on. Stop eating things that come out of boxes. Start eating things that actually look healthy like it's... Guys, these are small things, but here's what, I, here's what I can say. From the beginning, remember the sleep thing? If you don't get good sleep, you're not going to eat the right way. And here's the last thing. Here's what's so interesting about stress, and this is something that I've looked into, is one of the reasons we have such a problem with stress is because our physical bodies don't experience as much stress anymore. 
And here's what I mean by that. Like you have the ability to wake up in the morning in a temperature controlled room in a nice and comfy bed, go to work at a temperature controlled place, stay in a nice comfy chair, go home and never have to experience any physical stress. And what they found is this, is when our bodies don't experience physical stress, we can't handle emotional stress either. Like people have said this before, right? Hey, work out and you'll actually deal with stress better. Like, yeah, that's okay. That's not going to be me. Well, there's something called this. It's called hormetic stress. And here's what hormetic stress is. It's the things that we do in life that after we're done with them, yes, they stressed us, but we feel better afterwards. Like working out is a, is a hormetic stress. Here's other things that are hormetic stress. Fasting. That was mentioned in the Bible a couple times. Um, sunlight exposure. Like, yeah, I think everybody knows this. Like we live in Florida. Like we should go out in the sun. On top of that, not only does it, is it a hormetic stress, which actually helps you, it actually gives you vitamin D. And for those of you like me who are melanin challenged, <laughs> we actually get our vitamin D like twice as fast as people who can get tan, which is great for you. We get vitamin D. That's fine. Cold therapy, hot therapy, ice baths, sauna use, all of these things. I do the, I do actually do the ice bath thing. There's a lot of great things that go along with that. Actually increases your brain health, all of those things. A lot of crazy stuff. Look up a guy named Wim Hof. Wim Hof. Insane. And here's why I say those things. Look, everybody's at a different place in their journey. Here's what I'm hoping. Here's what I'm hoping. At the end of tonight, everyone in here with their small group picks something that they decide to do to reduce stress. And here's why I mean by that. Pick one thing. Because here's what research shows. You only have a certain amount of willpower. The, the idea that you have a lot of willpower is actually a myth. They've proven that. The people that look like they have a lot of willpower actually don't have a lot of willpower. They have a lot of habits. And so what you do is you pick something to change. You're like, how I'm stressed out. I'm going to do all of it. No, no, no. Pick one thing. Pick the gratitude journal. Pick, pick deciding that you're going to sleep better. Whatever it is, do it for 40 days. And then after you, it becomes a habit, then you pick something else. See, what we, what stress is this is stress is every day, like to get rid of stress, it's every day going, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to do something different to change the next day. That's how we get rid of stress. That's how we work, we'll move forward with it. And like I said, the, the Bible has some things, but there's some things that we can do that are just practical at the same time. Guys, here's, here's why I care so much about stress. The world right now is set you, setting you up to fail. It's setting you up to be so overwhelmed that you become bad at everything that you do. It's setting you up so that you're overwhelmed that you have to look to the world more to give you the things so you can have momentary happiness. God says, I want to give you the ability to remove those things so that you can follow something better and something that is more. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you're a God that absolutely cares about where we are mentally, uh, where we are emotionally. And God, you've given us the ability to truly rely on you. God, I pray that this week we would do exactly that, that uh, we would look to you. God, I pray that we take the worry that's in our life and God, we would, every time we go to worry, God, we would go then take it to prayer. God, I pray that every time that we feel like we don't have enough, God, I pray that we turn to gratitude. And God, I pray that you would allow us to change our mindset so that we can focus on you and live the life that you always want us to do. God, I thank you so much uh, for everything that you do for us. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.